What's up, Habs fans, hockey fans, near and far? Welcome to a special episode of the Curfew Boys. I am your host, Sammy, here with the rest of the Curfew Boys, Anthony, Joey, Zook, and Vito. Thank you all so much for tuning in. I'll tell you what, we are so excited to get this episode started. We have a very special guest for you all with us today. He is writer, columnist, editor for Sportsnet. He is also NHL analyst and insider for our dear Montreal Canadiens. Ladies and gentlemen, it's my pleasure to introduce for the first time on the Curfew Boys, the man himself, Mr. Eric Engels. How's it going, Eric? It's going well. You added something to my title. I don't think I've ever been an editor before, but I'll take it. Um, I hope you guys have all recovered from the 72 to, to however long hour celebration you guys had for the euro i'm sure you guys were all super excited and <laughs> honking your horns and running your flags around, around absolutely yeah <laughs> still celebrating here yeah, i'm still celebrating yeah. there's still a there's still a piece of our hearts missing uh and that's obviously a stanley cup from our boys but uh it's bittersweet but listen we'll take we'll take the euro cup for now but um, I, I i'm treating it as a consolation prize personally there you go <laughs> yeah i, I prefer yeah. the habs to win but it's okay. Yeah. No, it it sure. could have been that much of a better summer, you know, but it, it is what you it imagine. Is. I like how the guy who's got a Canadian's tissue box next to him is <laughs> consolation. How fitting, my, eh? my girlfriend actually bought me that. She, uh, she's like, Great. win or she's like, win or lose, here's a tissue box. And I haven't that, touched it since. That was before or after? Before. <laughs> and we then she's all like, the well, at least I got you the tissue box for after. And I was just like, yeah, thanks a lot. Oh the keeper. God. That's awesome. Uh, first off, Eric, uh, thank you so much for, for being on our show, for doing this, taking time out of your uh, busy day. I know uh, you're going to have a, a busy coming hour, especially with the breaking news of the Montreal Canadiens giving an extension to head coach Dominic Ducharme. Look, Eric, we're going to start. We're, we're, we're obviously big fans of, of you and your work uh, when it comes to getting insights info on our uh, Montreal Canadiens. What a year. It's been for this team, you know, it obviously goes without saying that playoff run that they had, even though they came up short, Montreal fans everywhere, Canadians fans everywhere around the world are extremely, extremely proud of this team. And wow, it's, it's been unreal, especially the, the season that they had. And, you know, when it comes to the season that they had, obviously different from the others, uh, we, we kept hearing from the players, you know, how challenging it was for them, you know, physically, mentally, not just for themselves, but also for their families. Coaching staff expressed it. Mark Bergevin ex himself expressed uh, how mentally difficult it was for, for him. Uh, but we never really got to hear it from members of the media. So we'll start off by asking you, Eric, in, put, put us in your shoes for how things went this season. What challenges did you go through? this year, considering how different the season was because of the uh, COVID pandemic um, restrictions. What well, first of all, first of all, the first thing that I would say is that <clears throat> I'm like, I've been saying kind of all year to friends and family and anyone who's asked, because I do appreciate people wondering how we're doing and this and that. And I would hope all you guys have been okay. The first thing is that I'm healthy and I'm employed. So I'm not asking for much more than that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, this has been an extremely challenging time. A lot of people died. A lot of people got really sick. And a lot of people lost their work, their life's work, uh, tons of money. Yep. Um, you know, I was very fortunate to be in a situation where those things didn't happen to me. And knock on wood, we'll continue to be in that situation. Um, 
as for the year covering the Canadians and really going back to like September of 2019 because of the playoffs, the bubble and all that stuff. Um, you know, we had the entire 1920 season and then roundabout through uh, an off season that was cut short by, by um, the, the bubble. And then this season, which obviously was an abbreviated season that ran all the way to the Stanley cup final for the Canadians. So it was extremely challenging not having locker room access made it all the more challenging because the opportunity to tell kind of inside stories on the players and who they are, like, just to give you an example, a really small innocuous kind of thing. It's yeah. Like you've seen Corey Perry's elaborate pregame routine, right? Like mm-hmm. his pregame yes. warm up, and, he's, yeah. you know, he throws a puck to the opening net and yeah. holsters a gun. And anyways, if we were in the locker room, you know, I'd have the opportunity to, sit next to Corey Perry in the room and talk to him for 10 minutes and get to the bottom of every single detail of what he does. And that, but that, that's the kind of story that we couldn't tell this year, you know, like it's, yeah. we're in zoom conferences where we ask one question and maybe get a follow-up if we're lucky. And, you know, as a storyteller and someone who's trying to do as informed the job as possible, it, that's a challenge that's hard to overcome. So hopefully we get back to a place where we have locker room access as we move forward through this pandemic and inevitably put it behind us, which, I think we're getting closer and closer to doing Delta variant aside and all the, all the uh, people throwing their concerns our, our way. But yeah, you know, like it was really hard. It was really mentally challenging. And from a work perspective, like to give you guys an example of how much I care about what I do, you know, I'm working day and night, uh, you know, six to seven days a week. And when I'm not working, I'm thinking about what I need to do next in my job. And so it's, you know, and I'm constantly on the phone with different people, sources, GMs, assistant general managers, coaches, scouts, players, um, constantly trying to get the most information possible. But also, you know, when I'm not having those conversations or writing something or doing something on television or participating in a podcast or radio, I'm thinking about what's my next move and how do I need to position it. So it's, it's, it's really hard to mentally disengage from it and even now, you know, the, the finals happened last, they ended last, it ended last Wednesday, Bergevin and the entire team spoke on Friday. Yeah. I had Saturday and Sunday to finally just leave it aside for the first time in, in months. Uh, and then bang, you know, it's Tuesday and I've already written something that's 2,400 words long and then the coach gets on. <laughs> so it's, it's nonstop. Oh, for sure. Well, I think you pretty much nailed it on the head. As the most important thing is as long as everyone's good and healthy and, you know, there are, like you said, some of us are fortunate to still have our jobs. So I think that's, that's the most important thing. And it's, and it's crazy to think that, you know, we see what goes on in the surface and that's, that's the players playing the game, but you don't really see much unless like you're a hardcore fan like some of us here what goes on afterwards there's still work to be done there's still the gm especially mark bergeme has some work to do and that's a discussion that i know Vito uh mentioned a few times too and i think he he's come up with a couple of good questions but i'll let Vito uh really express what what his thoughts are that sh- or what he was hoping to see coming up next for this team oh uh, it's more a question for you, Eric, in the sense of we know how challenging the year has been for everybody and, and especially even for Mark. But I, I see a ch- another challenge coming up with the salary cap, given, given that he's got, you know, they have about $14.6 million of cap space available. That's, you know, with Drew Wayne being on LTIR and not knowing what's what's happening with him and all that. But um, how challenging do you think it's going to be 
for Mark Bergevin to be able to sign. I call at the moment, I'm calling them the three UFAs, but let's add Kotkaniemi to that as an RFA as well to get uh, Dano, Armia, and uh, Corey Perry signed. And if you do think he's going to be able to do it, what are those number? What do those numbers look like? The, that's the, so that's the challenge that I'm thinking Bergevin is going to be facing. Um, and if he's even going to be able to sign all three or even all four, and what what do we think the team would look like going forward? Well, first of all, you left out Arturi Lekin. He's a guy who's got uh, arbitration rights and an important restricted free agent coming off a $2.4 million salary yeah. over the last two years. And uh, I think we saw certainly throughout the playoffs, but even in the regular season where you look at the numbers and say, oh man, I wish he scored more. But there's 31 teams that would be interested in Arturi Lekin if he became available because of the fact that he does everything the right way. And there was yeah. a point this year where they might have considered moving him out just to create the space because of the crunch you're talking about. But I just think the value is such that they don't want to lose that guy. So that's going to be an interesting negotiation. I don't expect him to come in much more than the 2.4 he's already making, you know, maybe he gets bumped up to three, um, but that's a, an important player to sign. Kakanyemi is relatively a simple negotiation, if only for the fact that both parties will be interested in doing a bridge deal. Um, yep. I would imagine, I don't want to put a number on it. We'll, we'll see where it ends up. I, I, I think one way or the other, they'll find a way. More important than the, the contract itself between Montreal and Kakanyemi is, you know, is that the, the meetings that took place before they disbanded for the summer were positive, that Kakanyemi is able to take something positive out of this season and the way the organization views him because they definitely really like him. I know it was pervasive somewhat in the fan base, where people were saying, oh, Dominic Ducharme hates this guy. And it's like <laughs> the furthest thing from the truth. I mean, honestly, there's no issue between uh, the coach, the player, the GM, the player, the teammates, his player. Is it hard for Kakaniemi? Is he going to forget that he was left out of two Stanley Cup finals games in the first game of the playoffs after playing the entire season and wanting to get an opportunity in the way he was kind of bounced around the lineup this, this season? No, you know, he's a player and he's a proud player and he wants uh, things, he wants to be viewed for what he is and valued for who he is and um, appreciated for what he can do. So I think, you know, there's some fence mending to do there, but if this was not Dominic Ducharme hates Jesperi Cockney, I mean, that's why he's not playing. He I came think, up with his reasons for not doing it. Yeah, and I then, think so many people just forget how young he actually is. You know, they, they yeah, just say, exactly. they see the fact that he came in at 18 and is already almost three years in, mind you, albeit, Certain years he didn't, you know, fully complete and end up getting sent down to Laval, but he's still he. I think he just turned twenty one, uh, like yeah, a couple exactly. a couple of days ago. There's not even a ago. dozen players. There's not even a dozen players in the league. Though, right, exactly. Younger than him. Um, going on to Deneau, uh, that's going to be a fascinating negotiation. You know, yeah. if you go back to the day yeah. that Drouin left the team, Deneau made a lot of comments about being about facing the pressure, you know, he was talking about Drew to a degree, but he was also talking about himself, you know, yep. it, it was a really difficult situation in Montreal being one of the only French players on the team. Uh, his contract negotiations spilled out into the public at a time where he was struggling the most he ever has in, yes. in a Canadian's uniform, which I asked him about, you know, last Friday. And he said, it really did affect me. Even yep. if I said it didn't, it, that was really hard for me to deal with. Um, it's, it was enough at the time to make him think to himself, what if I went somewhere else? What if I was in a place where it doesn't matter what language I speak and I didn't have to speak to the media every single day and I could go play golf after a, 
uh, a hockey practice or whatever, you know, there's a lot of teams out there that watched Philip Deneau in the playoffs and said to themselves, he's the missing piece for us. Um, you know, that'll affect his market value. It'll balance against what's happened in the year between him receiving a contract offer and not signing or the months between. You know, Radic Faxa signed in Dallas, playing a similar role for $3.25 million over five years. And then Adam Lowry with Winnipeg signed virtually the same deal. Uh, I'm not, you know, Dano, even if everyone focuses on the defensive side, has produced more than both those players. So he's Correct. likely to get a better deal than both those players. Yep. But it's going to be pandemic adjusted. It's not mm-hmm. going to be, I have a hard time believing it would be the six year, $30 million offer that he turned down, which believe me, there's more context to that. They didn't uh, pick up the phone when Mark Bergman called and just hang up on him. Um, <laughs> I think there's a deal to be had between both parties. Deno made it clear he'd love to stay in Montreal. He wants to be valued too. And I, I think the market, you know, the closer we get to the market opening and his opportunity to actually explore it, uh, the more leverage falls on his side. So I think Mark Bergevin is going to be very heavy at work on that right now. As far as uh, Armia is concerned, you know, he said he doesn't want to close any doors. It seems clear he wants to test the market. I, yeah. I, I don't know if there's a team out there that values him as much as the Canadians did over this playoff run. And he might find that out quickly. And if for whatever reason he prices himself out of this market, I don't believe the Canadians are going to be crying over it. Um, they've got players that they can graduate inevitably. Yes, he alone is on his way. Ryan Paling is yes. on his way. And Corey Perry, who said he intends to play and would like to stay in Montreal, is a player that I think Mark Bergman has to find a compromise for and, and bring oh, back absolutely. You know, the quality that he brought and the way he played and what he brought to their group and their leadership. Yeah. Um, you know, he's a hard player to turn away from. And I wouldn't, last thing I'll say, it wouldn't fully close the door on Thomas Tatar because we'll see what he's able to get himself on the market. <laughs> <Not this happy. laughs> but the Canadians know, and Mark Bergman would know this better than anyone, that you need players to get you to the playoffs and players to get you through. Yep. And Thomas Tatar is clearly a player that can help them get to the playoffs, which is going to be a harder task in the division they're going into. Now, he may say to himself, I'm never coming back to Montreal after that happened. And I only played five games in the playoffs, but if the market isn't that great for him and it's going to be better in a year from now, and he can come to terms on a one-year deal because for whatever reason, the Canadians um, still have Duran on long-term IR and they still have the money available to them. then perhaps that becomes an option. I know he loved being here. I know he loved playing with yeah. Owen Gallagher, which I think he would probably get an opportunity to do again if he came back. So I wouldn't, I would say that it's, 95% closed, but it's not fully done. <laughs> uh, I, and I would think that, uh, and I'm sorry, guys, if I'm just going to just no, add this one little point. It. It's only because he, I didn't mention Lekkanen at the beginning, only because I think it was going to come down to a point where they'd have to probably, because of the dollars and cents of it all, they'd have to come to a decision or decide whether they're going to keep Lekkanen or or keep Armia. It'd be probably one or the other just because of the money, especially if Armia comes to a point where he outprices himself. And that's, yeah. and that's why I didn't mention it. And because Lekkanen is an RFA, and it's like you said, there's 31 other teams that would want him because of his defensive game and all the little things that he does right. And he has value to especially, you know, I don't want to mention any other teams, but if I were to mention one, like a team like Colorado would probably could use somebody like him, like, you know, somebody that's on the third line that you know what you're getting from him night in and night out. Um, and remember, so, Vito, he's he's clutch. It's a big factor. Lekkanen right. comes clutch when he, he needs to be. Yes, but just ask Vegas how clutch uh, Lekkanen was. Ask Vegas, <laughs> ask Edmonton. He comes clutch when he needs to yeah. be. 
when there's a big goal, Lekkonen somehow is involved always. And it's a key factor. Um, Eric, I'm happy that you, you mentioned some of the points you did because some of us have been saying that throughout the year. I know Vito's a big, a big, uh, a big believer that there's some players that help you get through, get to the playoffs, but they need to help you get through the playoffs. Antti is a big lover of Tatar and, uh, and Dano as well. Zook's a big lover of Paling. And speaking of guys like Paling and Ilonen, these are these are guys that could be part of this future. And I know Joe, Joe, Joey's a big lover of looking at future talent and, and prospects. So I'll let Joey uh, ask this one question that he, I know he wants to, to let out there. Yeah, Eric, I definitely want to get your thoughts, uh, especially for our listeners and just have fans in general. Our, uh, we saw the excitement of some of our young guys, Kakanyemi, Suzuki, and especially Caulfield coming through the playoffs and how the future looks bright for Montreal. Now, we know Caulfield is our top prospect, and he's going to be our most exciting talent for, for a while. Uh, but our fans obviously want to know more, a little more about our, our, our I would say, our farm system. Besides Caulfield, um, who would you say is the most next? Which prospect excites you, would excite you the most, or has a really bright future in Montreal? You can label a couple if you, you have. Just be beyond Caulfield, just because the fans have always seen like what's next for Montreal in terms of our future players. Well, I think Canadians fans in general should be excited about what they have coming on the back end. You know, there's mm. between Matthias Norlander, yes. um, you yes. know, Jaden Struble, uh, Caden Gooley. I'm not mentioning Jordan Harris because he chose not to sign, and I think yep. it's more likely he'll end up elsewhere. Um, and I don't know what his value will be as a trade chip at this point, given that situation. But I know. You know, Mark Bergman said he's fully committed to the Canadians and Gordon Harris said the right things. <laughs> yeah. um, I think at the end of the day, he's going to have the opportunity to play wherever he wants and few players in those situations just go because they were drafted by a specific franchise. So I'll believe it when I see it. I'm not saying it's guaranteed he's going to leave, but let's leave him out of this discussion for now because he does look like he's going to be a, a very good player eventually at this level soon. Uh, and I think the Canadians would not be thrilled about losing him, but that's just reality sometimes. Uh, you know, I think they've got some gritty young prospects in Raphael, Harvey Finard, and, uh, yeah. and Joel, Joel Teasdale, who homegrown talents who play the right way, play with a ton of heart, and I don't really care where they were drafted or what their skill set is. They show that they could be players. And I do believe that Pinard for sure, I think, is a player that, Inevitably, I don't know how long it'll take him, but I think he'll play in the National Hockey League. I just believe that nothing will stop him. Um, and Teasdale obviously has had some injury issues and yeah, yeah, has yeah. to find a way to get himself into that condition that he'd be able to break through at the next level, but I wouldn't put it past him either. There's, there's a lot of good players in the system. They've built up a consensus top five prospect pool in hockey, and they have to be excited about that. The future's super bright for them. Uh, I think Norlander could be here pretty soon, and, and that would be a player that would help them fill a specific need of moving the puck on the back end. Absolutely. And you've got to look at, you know, first of all, what people have said about Paling over the last year is just stupid. I mean, that this kid is exactly where he should be in terms of his developmental curve. He's a 25th overall pick. It takes time. Was it 17th or 25th? Sorry, 17th overall? No, he was 25th. No, he was 25th. He was 25th. Okay. Yeah. All right. Sorry, guys. I didn't want to <laughs> second guess myself for a second. I shouldn't have. It's all good. Um, 
yeah, this, this kid has come along. He had a great debut in the National Hockey League. Everyone knew to take that with a grain of salt in a meaningless game against Toronto at the end of the year. And yeah, he was coming off a high college sign. Great deal. We all knew he was not an offensively prolific player to the point of he's going to be scoring three goals a game. You know, the next year, I think what everyone forgets is that Ryan Paling came to Canadians camp physically, mentally prepared to win a spot on the roster and how was having a tremendous training camp before he suffered a concussion. Yeah. And he suffered a concussion. And as he was healing from it, Nick Suzuki stole a spot on the Canadians roster and he tried to come back. Paling did and didn't really have his best game and was struggling to find it. And he's probably sitting there wondering, you know, like, how have I been forgotten here? Why is Kakaniemi there? And this guy's there and I'm not. And that's hard to deal with in your first professional year playing at the American Hockey League level where it's an adjustment to begin with. It's a different style of game. And he's got to find the balance between who he thinks he might be and who he needs to be to be an NHL player. If you look at this last season that he had, he had a tremendous season. It was amazing. Joel Bouchard did a great, great job, and he'll develop into the player that everyone expected, which is, is a third or third line center who could be pretty good uh, or, or end up being a, a winger uh, in that bottom six, but a guy who can help shift uh, the games in your favor. The biggest thing about the young nucleus of the Canadians here is not the individual. Kimiami and Suzuki, everyone will look at them and say, oh, they got this experience. They went all the way to the final. That's great. That, that they got to do it with guys like Corey Perry and Eric Stahl and Jeff Petrie and Shea Weber and go down the list of all the like champion-type players that the Canadians have. That is what pro- propels this team that much further forward, even if they're going to have a hard time making the playoffs next year in that division. They're gonna be they're gonna be closer to winning if they make the playoffs, given what happened with those guys. Well, that goes to to my question, and I know you gotta go soon, so I'll, I'll make it quick. I have another <laughs> I have another 15, 15 minutes for you guys. All right, awesome, amazing. Wow. That's awesome. So, that, so you kind of lead to my next que- to my question, and uh, I know the guys are probably gonna laugh at me here, but I'm a I, I, again <laughs> I'm a strong believer in. And don't get me wrong, I do believe that elite talent is important for a team, but I am a strong believer that character overpowers elite. And I, I look at this year, this season, you know, no one expected Montreal to win one game against Toronto. And, you know, on paper, we weren't team to even beat Toronto or even get to the Stanley Cup Finals. If I'm not mistaken, and, sorry, I think, Eric, didn't you predict Montreal would beat Toronto like in seven? I was predicted they would lose to Toronto in seven, but in seven. if the Canadians had showed something slightly different in the regular season, I would have predicted them to. That, that was discussed okay. before, Anthony, you get to your question. That was discussed. We, we mentioned that all the analysts did not uh, predict Montreal at all in the first round. So everyone was a doubter. This I just want to tell you guys, the only reason that I chose Toronto in seven was twofold. One, because the Canadians did not enable me to choose them in seven because of the, because of the way they ended the, way it the ended, Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And two, because I thought Toronto had evolved. They had, they had shown a style of game throughout the season that they were willing to play defensively and they, were, mm-hmm. they had evolved. Um, I just, with the way that series went, you know, by the time we got to game six and Jake Muzzin went down, I knew the Canadians were going to win that series. Yeah. 
But yeah, we I couldn't all, predict. It. If I had predicted that they were going to win it before the series started, people would have said that I was a crazy homer <laughs> who had no idea what he was talking. So um, go ahead, go ahead, Andy. Yeah. So so to my question, I, again, on paper, the only elite player you can say we have is Carey Price. So it's only normal we don't have the Marners, the the, the Matthews, the Ovechkins, the Crosbys, and you saw it how the the, the playoff run played out with how this team played as a whole as a unit together with the strong character they had and that's something that not a lot of teams have and I think that's what brought him this far now of course we fell short and that goes to missing that elite talent so I do agree with elite talent is important now this was a short season this was an unexpected season do you think we can sustain a whole season next year full 82 games with just character if Mark Bergevin doesn't pick up those quote-unquote elite players well listen I, I think the evaluation on what the Canadians have in terms of elite talent is maybe a little bit undersold you know I, I think Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield proved that they have elite talent um, whether or not they're established number one number two one two punch kind of combo mm-hmm. uh, I think that'll meet out over time they both have to physically develop they both tend to get faster and both become better players and more complete players in return but they're wise beyond their years already and on their way to becoming and establishing themselves as stars. I think Kakaniemi gets undersold in terms of what his capability is. I think Alex Romanov is on his way to becoming a top pairing defenseman if he can yes. develop in the same path. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, the Canadians don't have Austin Matthews and they don't have Connor McDavid and they don't have Elias Pettersson or, or Matthew Tuchuk or whoever you want to point to you know, just looking within the Canadian teams that you would suggest are elite talents. Do they need more of it to, to get through? Absolutely. Um, were Vegas and Colorado teams of equal talent to Tampa Bay? I believe they were. Uh, the reason Tampa Bay won the cup is because they had Ryan McDonough playing with a broken hand and Hedman playing with a torn meniscus. And, yeah. Uh, Alex Killorn getting a rod inserted into his leg and being yeah. willing to step on the ice and uh, Barkley Goodrow playing with a broken head, you know, like the character that they prevailed with, the way they played as a team, that's what Montreal ran up to in the final. You know, they, they ran up against a team that's better than them and was playing with as much commitment to the team as they were. Well said. Yeah. That's uh, very well said. Yeah. But I agree, Anthony, that the reason the Canadians made it to where they did is because they played for each other and they played as a team and no one did it better than they did. And they were full value. It was, it was not a lockout. You know, they, they they catch bounces. Every team that ever makes it that far in, in the playoffs has to, right? So Tavares went down, Shifley went down, um, and and um, Stevenson went down in the Vegas series, and a couple of bounces in overtime in the Toronto the series. Flurry gaff. Leads. Even the flurry gaff, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the flurry gaff, but, like, that it goes both ways. You know, there were things yeah, that went away, the, uh, away from the Canadians, certainly throughout the year, but in the playoffs as well. Mm-hmm. Um but they were full value in getting where they got. And they got there because they played better than any other team in the playoffs did outside of him. So a couple more elite, talented pieces, like you mentioned, Anthony, and that same commitment, and they'll get to where they need to get to. They certainly cannot play the style that they played in the playoffs and apply it in the regular season, which is part of the reason why they underachieved in the regular season, which I do believe they underachieved in the regular season. It's not that they weren't good enough to be better than the 18th place team. Like, if you if they win 
four more games in overtime and pull out a couple of the ones at the end of the season, they finish with what the 12th best record, whatever it is. Like it's, it's the, the margins are so thin. Um, I think it's been totally overplayed where the Canadians finish in the standings and how much of an underdog they actually were granted. They were one for sure in every series they played, but you know, we were saying all year, people in the media, myself, I'm not the only one. They were built for the playoffs. They were built yeah. to play playoff hockey. And if you looked up and down their roster, the only reason I chose them to lose in seven and go that far against Toronto was like, I was looking at the names, you know, Shea Weber, and Tyler Capoli, and Corey Perry. And it, like, these guys know how to win. All strong guys. Yeah. Yeah. So absolutely. anyways, we'll, we'll see what the future brings for them. But like I said, even if it might be hard for them to make it, if they do make it, they're, they're closer to winning than they would have been had they not had this whole thing happen last year. So they, Mark Bergman has his work cut out, to them, cut out for him to make them a team that can make the playoffs. As far as one that can get through the playoffs, he's got a lot of the pieces he needs. Yeah. Okay. You guys mind if I ask one quick question? Sure. Well, go for um, it. With the departure of Joel Bouchard, we all know that. How much of an impact do you think that's going to have on the organization and the prospects and the development and and just pretty much, you know, the Laval team as a as a whole? Not as much as people might think. Um, you know, I think Alex Burroughs might be a strong candidate to replace him on that bench. If yeah. not, yeah. they'll scour the markets and find some someone who can do the job. They've done a much better job on the player development front, and Joel Bouchard deserves full credit for his role in that. Mm-hmm. But he's not the only guy who's capable of developing players and bringing them along. Uh, he did a great job with Jake Evans. We'll see what the fruits of his labor were with Ryan Paling, with uh, Kale Flurry, with um, Kinard, Teasdale, you know, the other guys that were within the system and underneath him. Uh, but, you know, he's one guy. I think, I think he deserves full credit for the job he did here. He did a much better job than anyone has in the last six, seven years. But, you know, he moved on because, uh, it was clear to him that he wasn't going to get a head coaching job in Montreal anytime soon. And that appears to be his ambition. And mm. as far as the Canadians are concerned, you know, they, they made their offers to him. He chose to yeah. rebuke them and that's it. They'll move on. They'll find a way to continue to develop their players because yeah. they've got a lot of them in the pipeline. And this is an important stage in their franchise's development in terms of making sure all these kids get to where they need to go. Yeah, and it was awesome watching Laval this uh, season. It, it's too bad they didn't have a Calder. I'm convinced they would have won. Calder I'm convinced yeah, they won. The, watching Laval was exciting. Look, during Montreal's uh, hard times during the season, which all everyone had a hard time with COVID, but that stretch of where Armia got injured, uh, Armia, sorry, got on COVID list, and then they had to play that stretch of so many games. Like I kind of turned a little bit to Laval, and watching them was like a little awesome to watch. You know, our future how it went so i'm excited to see how the they pan out i have a question for eric just to hear your thoughts on this what do you think of the the most recent development of Duchesne being coached for the next three years based on what we've seen last season and his performance as a coach i think he fully earned it and not just because he ran the canadians to the final because i think mark bergevin said that this was in the making for a long time right um and when you hear Philip Deneau say that the system that was implemented was the one that this team wanted to prescribe to. 
that's one thing when you hear Corey Perry and Eric Stahl talk about the value of the coach and the way he ran his bench and the way he got everyone on board and communicated and was a straight shooter. That's another thing. And when you have a young player like Nick Suzuki say virtually all the same things, Hmm. it tells you the breadth of, of trust that the players have in their coach. So I think, you know, there's a lot of factors in addition to Ducharme's success that, that enabled him to secure this, this uh, extension. I believe the extension is going to pay him somewhere between, I think it's around 1.75 mil. I think it's something like that a season. It's a very fair deal. It is a, um, a good deal for a guy who's on his first contract in the NHL. We'll see if all the financial stuff ever gets disclosed, but that's what I've been told by a couple sources. Um, I, you know, this guy did a really good job under the most trying circumstances imaginable. I think as George may said in the release, it's, he's earned the opportunity to attack it in a more regular, normal setting um, and see where it gets you. But I think he installed the system that the Canadians can prescribe to and be successful with. And um, I think his interpersonal skills with each player and his direct kind of communication approach you know, the one knock on Ducharme, aside from Canadians fans, will never be satisfied with whichever coach is calling the shots on who gets to play and for how much ice time. Right. Um, you know, I think people see his interactions with the press and say, uh, you know, like he seems like emotionally kind of mute. Like there's no, yeah, he's very calm, resolute, but like there's no, Where's the there's no, cur- there's no cur- it you know? he's not charismatic like let's say when Mark Bergman comes on or some, some people from the past or what he's just he's just but it's there. Da- it's it's, yeah. it's, yeah. it's dangerous to draw conclusions on that correct because much like Kerry Price is very different with his teammates than he is with the media oh, yep. um you know I'd imagine you know Dominic Ducharme was known in junior and coming up for being an extremely passionate guy and a fiery guy so. I, I think the players, and I certainly asked a couple of them throughout the season if they saw that side of them, and they said they did. So it's dangerous to read too much into what you see just on the surface. It, there's there's more there. Absolutely. And if Mark yeah. Bergman believes this this strongly in this guy, uh, you know, he certainly attached his future to Ducharme at one point in making him the interim coach. Um, I think that's something that Canadians fans should probably feel confident about, and we'll see what kind of job he does moving forward. We're all looking forward to what the future has in store for this team. We said a lot of uh, great points, made a lot of great comments. Uh, look, Eric, I know uh, you got. I I, I know you got the uh, press conference coming up. I don't know if you have a bit more time or. Yeah, a couple more minutes. Go for it, guys. You got a couple more minutes. Okay. Uh, actually, Anthony had a very nice question for you, so I'll I'll let I'll let Anthony. Uh, I'll let Anthony. Uh, is it very it nice? Is he going to compliment my hat? And like, <laughs> it's, 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 I'll actually, absolutely. I'll actually, I'll actually give it to Vito. I'll, I'll give it to Vito. We're speaking. Uh, before, okay. so I'll give we're it playing, to Vito. We're playing hot potato with. But this I asked for your hat. Uh, I like it. I think it's a bit more of a, a question about you and your career path. I guess is where I was heading with this, um, or where I'm going to head with this. Did you ever watch the movie The Pursuit of Happiness with Will Smith? No, I didn't. Okay. Sorry. So, no, no, it's okay. That ruins your question. No, no, no. I'll, I'll explain it briefly. Anyways, the, the, the gist I know the, the premise in the movie. I know the premise. Yes. Like, he goes through a hard okay. time. Anyways, near the end of the movie. Yeah. So, anyway, spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't watched it. But near the end of the movie, he, after all the hard times, basically being almost homeless with this kid, 
he ends up getting the job after doing an unpaid internship. He gets the job, he gets out of the building, you know, in a state of euphoria, very happy, very, you know, full of joy and relief. And what I guess my question for you and in your career path, uh, what did you ever have a point in your career where you got to that point where you just knew you made it or you felt like, you know, that same state of euphoria, like I'm there, this is where I've always dreamt myself to be or wanted to be? Um, yeah, I mean, a couple of, a couple of demarcation points for sure. Like, uh, you know, for people who don't know, I worked for eight years, kind of two full-time jobs. I was working in sales and marketing, but also supporting, you know, the, the, the real job I wanted to have, which was covering the Montreal Canadians. And I was doing it for five different outlets, doing freelance work and making decent money doing that. Um, but not enough that I was willing to throw away the sales and marketing job and just dive headlong into covering the Canadians. So when I was hired by Sportsnet six years ago, I think that was probably the moment. It wasn't the moment where I was like, oh, I've made it. I, I think I made it long before then. Um, but it was the moment where I could shed all that other work that I was doing and sacrificing to, to make it to where I wanted to go. So uh, it's a never ending process. You know, that's, yeah. that's one point in my career. There have been several kind of gradual steps and then exponential steps to get to where I am now. And it's not where I intend on stopping either. You know, like it's, I think what I've learned and I think it's universal, no matter what you're doing in life, um, that you always have to strive for something more. You always have to, you can't be complacent. You have to, you know, it's good to enjoy and appreciate what you have, which I certainly do. As I mentioned off the top, when you guys asked me, you know, how I'm doing and how challenging things have been. I appreciate where I am. I love my job, love what I do, um, love my wife, love my life. I feel healthy. I feel, you know, enthused about working, but you know, you don't, you don't get to the top of the mountain by aiming for the middle of it. So you got to just keep pushing and, and hopefully, you know, one demarcation point is just uh, a little spot along the journey, right? Like there's going to be several of them as we continue to move along and, no matter what I do moving forward, whether it's, uh, you know, with Sportsnet or expanding my career into other fields or whatever it is, you know, I'm always just going to keep aiming high because it's through that process that I've been able to achieve a fair amount already. So it's, this is all fun. I, I, I love it. And it's a good question. Amazing. It's a very nice question. <laughs> it's a nice question. <laughs> I, was going, I was going a little, it was a very <laughs> nice question. I was going a little deep on it, but. It's all good. Can I, Eric, can I can I steal your uh, your your middle of aiming a high atop by by going to the middle quote before you copyright it? Is it okay if I steal that quote from you real can quick? You steal it? I don't know. It depends would... where you put it. You can send me a royalty every time you use it if you want. Absolutely. <laughs> Eric Engels, uh, we can't thank you enough for uh, for being here. This was absolutely awesome. Before uh, we let you go, is there anything else you want to say? Where can where can fans and followers uh, follow your your social media pages? Where where are your platforms? Real quick before uh, before we call it a day. Yeah, they know where to find me. It's good yeah. to be with you guys. Uh, I'm happy you guys have a passion that, that kind of unites you and brings you together to do this. And uh, I wish you guys all the best and good luck and uh, Forza. Yeah, thank Forza you, sir. Thank, thank you, you so much. Hopefully, we do this again soon. Enjoy your day. Enjoy your summer. Stay, stay well and healthy. To you, all the best to you and your family. Thanks again so much. We'll uh, hopefully do this again soon. Thank Cheers, you, guys. That was Eric Angles from Sportsnet. That was an awesome experience. 
great interview, great guy as well. We're going to wrap this up, ladies and gentlemen. We want to thank you all for tuning into this episode. You can continue the support and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can listen to all our episodes of The Curfew Boys on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. We're going to be back with you soon. More news regarding the Montreal Canadiens. There's still the expansion draft to talk about, the entry draft to talk about, and free agents before we take our little summer break. In the meantime, hope you all are having a fun and safe summer. We'll see you all soon. On behalf of the Curfew Boys, I am Sammy. Bye now.